Welcome back to the Pro Tips for Independent Bands podcast with me, your host, Liam Taylor, coming at you with another completely unscripted and unprepared intro. It's good to have a recognisable brand. In this episode, we're looking back at a video from March 2017 with the title Top 5 Lies Your Band Believes. The goal of this video was to highlight some of the unhelpful things that bands tend to tell themselves when they're not having a very good time or they're not having the success they feel they deserve, like, oh, we got a bad review because that journalist hates us, not because our music is crummy. Or another example, no one's at our gig because the promoter did a terrible job and not because our band isn't very good. Looking back on this video, it's really interesting to see how someone has clearly put a penny in me about these particular issues. So I don't really know what was bugging me at the time, but I still basically stand by everything I say in this video. There are a couple things I've taken out, but that is mostly down to uh, the flow of the podcast version rather than the video version. The video version is basically the same, but ever so slightly longer. So you can go watch that on YouTube if you really want to, youtube.com forward slash stabpanda. But for now, it's over to me in March of 2017. Today, we are talking about the kinds of things that bands tend to adopt when their careers don't quite go the direction they thought they would. These are the kind of self-serving lies that are ultimately gonna have a negative effect on a band, like when a middle-class family turns racist out of boredom. Now, I'm not saying that everything on this list is entirely inaccurate or unjustified, but they're definitely extreme views. So if you find yourself thinking these kinds of things, I invite you to re-evaluate your stances based on what I have to say. Let's begin. Lie number one, people don't wanna see our band because the big bands are still touring. Many unsigned artists believe that because the big bands like the Rolling Stones and Metallica continue to tour, it takes the attention of their potential fans. If those bands were to just stop, those fans could save like 90% of their going out funds by seeing you guys down a pub rather than seeing whatever Axel is calling Guns N' Roses over at Wembley. There is a logic to it. It's not stupid, exactly. This is why it's stupid, exactly. For many of these bands, touring is their only source of income. If they don't tour, they don't eat. This is especially the case with the Rolling Stones, whose material is written by only one or two core members of the band. The rest of them are just kind of there. Sure, the record label will keep them fed and warm during studio time, but between that and touring, they're kind of don't really have any income. That is why you need to be a songwriter. Whether or not you actually perform those songs is kind of irrelevant because songwriting is where the long-term income is. Secondly, it was probably one of those bands that got you into making music in the first place. Fair enough, it might have been one of the weird proggy bands that made it fun for you, but the first thought of, ooh, I might go play guitar now, probably came from watching Iron Maiden or ACDC or Guns N' Roses or whatever, someone that big. So yeah, you basically owe them. The upshot is that you need to work a lot harder to make sure that fans can have a better time at your gig than they can down at Wembley or wherever else. But really, the reason this is wrong is because they are different experiences. Yeah, they're both music, fair enough, but actually seeing your band in a pub is a different experience to seeing a huge band in a massive stadium. What you need to do is make it clear to fans that that is an experience they will actually enjoy. To conclude, it's all about supply and demand. If people want Metallica and they can afford Metallica, they're gonna get Metallica. Ultimately, it's down to the fans who will vote with their feet, so either make your gigs worth their while or shut up. You could try and target potential fans by looking at people who would enjoy music similar to the music you make, but can't actually afford to go to those concerts. That is called a demographic. Or just become a cover band. As much as they hate it, people will actually see a half-decent cover band. Unless you're trying to directly rival Metallica, but then you need to work super hard for a very long time, like Megadeth. Hi Dave! Also, the big names won't live forever, so... 
waiting game. Really. People might just not be at your gig because you're not promoting it very well. Which brings us to lie number two. Lie number two, it's the gig promoter's job to promote the gig. Some bands will tell you that they shouldn't have to promote a gig at all. It's their job to turn up and play music. They shouldn't have to get involved with the actual marketing. The word promote is in the job title promoter. Good observation, you should be a spy. But actually, if you were to call a promoter by what they actually do, the job title would read more like promote the gig, book the bands, stage manage your dumbasses because you overrun your set again, design the flyers, hand out the flyers, provide tuners because guitarists are idiots and spam lots of online adverts. Promotion is only a portion of that role, but you're right, what's the point in doing any of that if there's not going to be anyone at the gig? To conclude, well, think about it. Who has the most direct access to your fans? Is it you guys with the Twitter account and the Facebook page and, if you know what you're doing, a healthy supply of your fans' phone numbers, or is it some guy who isn't in your band? It's you guys in the band, isn't it? You should not have to do all of the work true but the amount of effort it takes to just tweet out to your fans or put something on facebook or text a load of your mates to save the day it's negligible so why not just do it i've always felt like a promoter's job should be to pull in people who haven't heard your band yet but might enjoy it and they've been promised a rockin' good time so that's a cool division of labor right obviously if you know a promoter won't pay you or show gratitude in any way or get any punters in themselves then maybe you don't work with that person the first few years of your playing career should be spent working out who the dodgy promoters are and getting used to being on a stage which unfortunately means playing to a lot of empty rooms but that just is what it is shut up and do it line number three if we're on every social media platform and website it increases our chances of being seen simple logic if you have a wider online presence it increases the chances of being discovered by someone really important or by a shed load of fans. Why is it wrong? Well, are you honestly going to keep your Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Tumblr, Reverb Nation, Pinterest, WordPress, Bandcamp, YouTube, SoundCloud, LinkedIn, Bebo, Ultimate Guitar and Google Plus pages all up to date? I guarantee that one or most of these will quickly fall behind and offer visitors either inaccurate information or just embarrassing graphics. Also, it'll be really fun to see how many of these websites don't exist in a year's time. To conclude, some of these sites do the same thing. So if you want somewhere for your music to live, which you should, then you only need one of SoundCloud, Bandcamp, or Reverb Nation. On top of that, maybe a couple others like Twitter and Facebook. Done, that's all you need. You can have your own personal Instagram or Tumblr or heaven forfend Bebo accounts where you occasionally post about your band along with cats and your lunch but that's not where you should direct people on your band's promo gear it's a personal account where you sometimes share stuff about your band if you find that you've got a site that you're not really using that much just delete it it's better to have a few well used and up-to-date and accurate sites than it is to have shed loads of inaccurate ones lie number four I write the kind of music that I want to hear, fans will buy it because it's genuine. Why is this an issue? It's normal to think you should be doing something genuine that you enjoy doing and that you will be respected for doing that. It's called integrity. If you want to make music for you, then do that, but you can't expect anyone to care. I occasionally write for my own enjoyment. That's what the Ronnie Diz project is, and I put it online because purely by coincidence, there are a handful of people that really seem to like it. But I'll never do a big launch to release a track or perform it live because it's for my own amusement. We've spoken about supply and demand already. People will want what they want and they will get it when they feel like it. To conclude, if you're doing music with the intention of hitting the big time or getting a shed load of fans, then you need to be supplying what those fans want. 
Wanting to be famous without doing something worth people's attention is stupid and pointless. Lie number five. That journalist hates us. You played an awesome gig. You were awesome, man. Everyone thought you were awesome, man. But some asshole blogger thinks otherwise. Why is this wrong? Maybe you do suck. Maybe you suck because you can't take constructive criticism. Any criticism, really, is constructive, even if the published review is literally just a movie of some guy vomiting because of how much he hates you and hates your music. That's a pretty big hint that you should rethink your band's core concept. If you're deluded enough to believe that you don't need to change to suit your fans and your critics and industry professionals, then you're not going to get very far, as per lie number four. Unbiased feedback at an indie level is so much more important than your friends and family telling you what you want to hear. To conclude, listen to the person that probably has more contacts as an individual than you guys do as a band. Even if it's scathing, especially if it's scathing, take it on board, adapt, and invite that reviewer back to see your band the next time you play. Tell them you found their review helpful and you hope they find your slight change in direction a bit more appealing. They will respect you and I guarantee their next review will be a lot better, even if it's only because you invited them back and it will create a real stir that this person has changed their mind about you. Also, just get used to criticism. There will be people that don't like you, especially if you get big, and some of them will voice their opinion, some of it will reach your ear and some of it will really hurt. But there's nothing you can do about that, so just toughen up. So there we are. Those are the top five lies that your band believes, probably. The thing I really want you to take away from this is that you can't blame other people for your lack of success. The sooner you get over that, the sooner you can start addressing any real issues for your lack of success, even though it's probably just a case of tough skin and persistence. So those were the top five lies your band believes from March of 2017. And I've got to say, actually, a lot of those still seem to be the case. I see a lot of younger bands blaming other people for problems with their music and their career when actually they should perhaps be examining their lineup, their relationship with their band members, the content they're creating and the way they promote their music. Just stop blaming other people for your problems and start making positive changes. See, someone's put a penny in me again. This is still apparently a big issue in my brain. If you're enjoying the podcast, it is imperative that you give us a positive review on whatever app you're listening to this on. And if you want to give us a follow as well, so you see new episodes whenever they come up, that is especially helpful. If you want to go one step further, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all the normal places, and you can follow or like our page or whatever it is you do on that particular platform. If you want to go one step even, even further, you can find Stab Powder Music on Patreon. There is only one level of support. That is the $1 tier, the only tier. And basically any funds we get from Patreon go towards new audio gear, new camera gear, and most importantly, time for myself and my colleagues at Stab Panda to write about you guys, write about new bands and create educational content for you guys. And what we'd like to add in terms of the Patreon thing is consider Netflix subscriptions, uh, YouTube Red, Spotify, Amazon Prime, all of these different streaming video and audio services that you pay for, which can vary from what, £5 to £15, £20 a month. Compared to that is the content we create, this podcast, the YouTube stuff, the reviews, the blog, all of that good stuff. Is that worth a dollar a month to you? And you know what? I certainly hope it's worth more, but we're only asking for a dollar. So yeah, check us out on Patreon if you're feeling especially lovely today. 
and I will see you. Well, I won't see you. You will hear my voice. That's the relationship we have going on. You will hear my voice in the next episode of the Pro Tips podcast. See you later.